Welcome to Profitable Powerhouse Properties with the AHI Group. I am Jonathan Cook, and with me, as always, Brian Jenkins. Welcome, everyone. Welcome, we welcome back to, to another episode. I feel like it's been forever since we recorded one of these. Oh my gosh, it, it feels like it has been forever, and uh, certainly been forever since we've talked to our guests. Oh my gosh, I was going to uh, say the same thing. You know, it's it's almost like COVID. 2.0, I guess. Probably. Well, it is right this minute. <laughs> um, and we're excited to have Nishant back with us. Nishant Fadness, welcome back. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. I'm, I'm excited to be back. A lot has happened since we last recorded wow. back oh in, I think, February gosh. of 2020. Yeah, that's about right. Yeah. yeah like good. there was a whole, well, it's kind of like when we when we did the market updates, it was like right before it all hit. Yep. And now like, I feel like we need to do a whole new just series. All right, Nishant, let's start with you. <laughs> Nationally speaking, now let's go into markets. Yeah, almost, almost a reboot. And I can tell you some of our listeners are excited about this episode because they enjoyed our last episode yeah. with you so, so much. Uh, we've had a, a number of them say, hey, when, when, when are you recording? When yeah, are you going to release? We're looking forward to the episode. So, so glad you could join us today. Well, I'm always so impressed every time I talk with you, Nishan, just how much information that you know about just what gets in front of finding uh, a great tenant. I mean, that's ultimately what yeah. we're trying to do here. I mean, that's, that's what we are trying to do for all of our clients. That's what we're trying to do. I mean, that's what I, would, I tell people when when I'm talking to them, bringing on new clients, what, what is the thing that I sell? It's our ability to put a good quality, you know, resident in your property. Mm -hmm. And so who, who better to talk to is, is what I'm boiling down to, Brian. Who <laughs> and and the, the beauty of it, and for those new listeners, just to give you a, a quick intro, I, I uh, operate rentals.com, which is part of the RentPath network that also uh, owns and operates rent.com and apartmentguide.com. Um, and we, uh, we recently announced, talk about changes, in April of this year, we, uh, we got acquired by Redfin. And uh, Redfin now is entering into the rental marketplace to hopefully put some of uh, their competitors uh, on edge. And uh, the great thing about what I do is I have access to kind of some really, really crazy, cool information on both the demand side, where kind of renters are looking, and, and also on the supply side, because we're a two-sided marketplace. So I'm always happy and eager to share some really cool insights with you guys uh, and your listeners. Well, we we very much appreciate it. Actually, I read um, a blurb that that I believe was a quote from you earlier today when you were you're discussing with it might have been actually on the the Rent Path Network website. And you're saying that your goal is to help everyone succeed in what they're trying to uh, uh, you know accomplish was that was the basic roundabout of what you were trying to say here and I'm like okay well what is rent paths goal and rent paths goal is to connect a renter with exactly what they're looking for what what is your client's goal which would be a property manager or you know someone looking to rent out a property and that's finding a good quality tenant so like yeah. like you're saying it's it's a little bit you know uh, vague what you do but but I think with all the information that you have, that's that's how we do all this. Yeah, and as we, as three of us know, I mean, the success of a uh, management of a, a rental asset, it, it always starts with the success of having a, a, a good resident in mm -hmm. the property, paying a rent, taking care of the property. And uh, once we have that catalyst in place, the rest of it, you know, we just, we just manage that piece of it, which is you know, what we do day to day. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. So excited to uh, to have you today. And I know we, we had asked for you to kind of give us a, and I think maybe we'll we'll start in the direction of a national kind of yeah. overview. And then we wanted to kind of 
come all the way down to our Alabama specifically markets and, and as well as the OKC market if we have time. Yep. So we're going to let you kick us off. Yeah. So if you're, unless you're living under a rock, right, over the past <laughs> year and a half, clearly things have changed. And the dynamics of, of how the pandemic impacted our marketplace is probably well aware with our listeners and clearly with AHI and, and the group that you guys manage and it's just remarkable. Like just the, it feels like an emotional roller coaster that we, we, if you reflect back in March and kind of like, okay, everything was shutting down. Everything was coming to a massive halt. And on the demand side, we saw the same thing, right? So within our marketplace, we, we saw a ton of renters just kind of didn't know what to, they didn't know. So they just, everything was stopped. And then as, as that shutdown kind of started to reopen right after the three week period, we saw a tremendous demand, demand spike, in particularly in the asset class that we know and love, which is kind of the single family marketplace, the single family renter marketplace. And over the course of all of last year and even entering into this year, gosh, demand continues to, to spike in, in, the, um, in the single family rental space. And I'll, I'll, I'll give you some key stats on kind of why, uh, why that's happening but the obvious one is, you know, a lot of renters, particularly the ones that are, are able to work from home, right, it, it, it introduced them a new problem, which is where in their house are they going to be able to work consistently for 40 hours a week, right? And space clearly was a challenge early in the COVID journey, right? And as you all aware, you know, in single family rentals, there's a lot more space than there is in multifamily. In fact, um, when I was pulling some stats on just kind of the the uniquenesses of, of single family, it 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 came to a obvious um, head here where where there's just a ton of three bedroom homes in yep. in the single family marketplace. Um, about sixty percent of single family renters uh, rent, uh, of of rental properties have three or more bedrooms, and that's compared to eight percent in multifamily. Oh, so, wow. so you have 60% that have three bedrooms or more, and you have 8% in the multifamily that have three bedrooms. <clears throat> so what are and the things that... Yeah. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say that it's clearly a space challenge in the beginning, right? Where, where can I work? And so demand was attracted to space. Go ahead, Frank. One of the things that I find um, interesting just in, you know, working with investors is, you know, when they're talking about, well, what is, what are, what are most people looking for? What is, what is the average home in your area look like? How, I mean, is it, are they all three bedroom? Like, that's the thing that it's, that's like the default is, is the average a three bedroom property? And I'm like, yes, yes. Yeah, of course it is. Yeah. In yeah. the single family marketplace, the average, when someone's coming to look for an investment, it feels like that's just your default search parameters as a three bedroom. Well, and I think it is. I think if you pulled any property management firm across the nation, I think you would, you know, we pull the metrics from our software. Uh, I would say we're probably, I haven't looked today, but I'm going to guess we're in the mid 60 percentiles on the three bedroom component. Mm -hmm. So, and then you get into the nuances of, you know, obviously we all know a three one is very much different than a three two or a three three. Uh, and then, the, you know, where you go from the four bedrooms up, 
that sort of thing. And that's uh, to kind of echo what you're saying. I think we saw an increase for demand in four bedrooms yeah, uh, because of that additional space needed to facilitate an office environment or an office set up to where they can conduct their business. It's like home. parents, two kids, yeah. office space. That's, that's right. Yeah. That's exactly right. That's right. And so with the, the increase in demand, occupancy rates just skyrocketed, right? And so filling a vacant home um, with a quality tenant actually became easier, surprisingly, during the, the pandemic than harder because of the, the tremendous amount of qualified demand. And so for occupancy rates at the end of last year, it, it landed around 95.1% on average in the fourth quarter of last year. That's 30 basis points higher than the prior year. And it, it's incredible. And another interesting stat that I always like to reflect on is kind of like, what, what are the institutional guys experiencing when it, when it relates to occupancy? Because uh, a lot of them are publicly traded companies. So you can look it up, you can listen to their investor calls each quarter. And I did, I did that with invitation homes, which you guys may know, and our listeners may know they're, they're the largest owner We know operator. a bit about them. Yeah. <laughs> they own about 80,000. We've uh, heard of them. <laughs> SFR homes, right? And and then so in their recent earnings call back in April this year, they uh they reached a one Q occupancy rate of ninety eight point four percent. Good gracious! Um, uh, unbelievable occupancy rates, right? And the beauty about working from home and COVID is the tenure of those occupancies are are being more or longer now, right? I mean, mm-hmm. people are moving less. Um, they're particularly if you have a family and a well established single family rental home, it, it's pretty remarkable. I don't know if you guys have seen that in your in your world too, in terms of occupancies, but clearly the, the national average is just, just growing. Yeah, yeah, oh, we have, and I think you and I talked about that Southern states a little bit, where um, you know we've talked about how we would normally have around 100 properties available this time of the year, and we're down in the low 20s um, across five different locations. So it's it's definitely, and that's not exclusive to us by any means. I think that's an indicator of the market and, and everything going on with uh, the restriction of the supply side. Yep. And, and then, and so well, this is kind of, go ahead. I think one of the things that people are, people are worried about that are they, they can see it is rents are rising at, I mean, if you're a tenant, you know, yeah. in, in some consideration, an alarming level, if you've been paying $1,100 a month for, or, and, and then gone up, you know, one or 2% every year well, for the past three or four yeah, years. Cavi- and now you jump up to 1500 in your own the, the market. The caveat price. with that is now you can't go out and buy a house you and expect a lower, a lower payment because, you know, the sales market's actually outpacing the rental market, in my opinion. It is. Um, and then there's the, you know, there's the added mix of, you know, we take calls, a few calls a week to say, hey, I've decided to sell my house because it's such a great time to sell. And it's like, well, what's your, what's your plan? What because you if you're looking for a rental house, you're probably not going to find it. You can't just sell it and then worry about where you're going to go. You need to have a plan in place. Uh, I'm going through that myself. I'm <laughs> selling my house, building the house. It's going to be ready in eight to nine months. With the best laid plans. With the best laid plan. And I had I moved into a rental property that I own, thankfully, but most everybody doesn't have that option. So it's like, oh, well, I'll just get it. I'll just get an apartment or I'll get a house. And the problem is, I mean, we're talking about single family occupancy, but multifamily occupancy is also super high. It's skyrocketing. It it almost doesn't matter what your level of options are in that category. If you're trying to find a new place to live, and a good example is uh, my sister-in-law and brother-in-law. They they sold their house. They live in Trustful. Mm -hmm. Uh, They sold their house in like 
hours of their property hitting the market. And then they even lucked out and found like a distressed property in a really nice area of town, but it's like super dated. We have to remodel the whole property. Okay, well, guess where they're living until it's all done? In mama's basement. Yeah, multi-generational yeah. living. I mean, just it's like, well, we got the dogs and we're we're all in the basement. Yeah. We're gonna we're gonna hang out. And they're great. They're I mean, they're they're fine. They're not, you know, too crunch for space, but I mean, we had to move them all into a storage unit. I would to like to say they're, stuff. you know, I would like to say they're an individual case. They're not. Assistant, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and you, you mentioned, Jonathan, a, a, a great topic around rental prices, right? So you have high demand, high occupancy. So a lot of the, you know, a lot of owners are taking advantage of that. And, and one way to do that is to, to raise rents and to share some national averages around rent price growth. It, it's soared frankly, um, to, oh, sure to be, is. to be blunt, it's in it, the, the growth rate has reached 15 year highs. And, and in April, April of this year, national rent for single family rentals have increased by 5.3% year over year. So rent prices have grown 5.3% year over year on average this year versus April of last year, which if you can imagine April of last year also experienced some pretty significant yeah. growth at 2.4%. Wow. Um, but the, the unique, interesting piece of that national average, that 5.3% that I quoted, that's both for detached and attached homes. If you look at just detached rental properties, so your traditional single family rental property, uh, a home, that rent growth has accelerated to nearly 8% rent growth year over year. Unbelievable. 8%. That's um, and I'm going to tell you, I had an article come in this week that actually indicated it's 9.2 mm-hmm. to the most current oh number. Oh, my gosh. That's just crazy. Well, that's that's like a perfect example of, uh, you know, if, if you're an investor out there and you have a property manager and they're not raising rents or they, they don't have a system for consistently raising rents for a, a tenant that's, you know, renewing, that's something that you need to probably have a conversation about with, with, with rates going up so much. I've just recently looked at another client of ours that had a property in place for who knows how long with another company. And we're looking at year over year rent increases. And he's like, all right, so what's, what's the new market analysis for this property? The last thing we were getting was like seven ninety five, And I'm like, it's eleven fifty. It's like such a yeah. huge jump. Yeah. He's like, wait, wait, why? And I'm like, well, if I look back at like the leasing history, it's just one of those like, yeah, we'll renew at one or two percent increase or whatever. They, they clearly didn't have a system for increasing rents based on market demand because worst case scenario, if the tenant now can't pay the new eleven hundred dollars a month or whatever, it's not like it's not like when we put it on the market for eleven hundred dollars, we're gonna have trouble renting it either. So like there's almost no fear to the investor to raise the rent. Just just take the gamble. We're gonna have to, your property manager is gonna have to you know, have the same conversation with the with the tenant, regardless of if we're raising it $10 or $100. It's the same conversation. We might as well swing for the fences and maximize uh, that Just profit. to your point, so we just did a rootstock analysis that was sent to us, Jonathan did this morning, and one of these properties is 23% under market. Yeah. Wow. It's the current rents. So, yeah, it's very much, I mean, the data is constantly changing. If, if you have a property manager that's not involved with, with a team like Nishant here with RentPath and they don't have those statistics and they can't, you know, stay on top of what the most current information is, then you're falling behind. You're falling 23% behind. I mean, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. So I mean, I think 
I think we shared with you, Brian, recently just the mobile and OKC markets. But if you look, for example, you know, last year it took about 25 days on market to fill a vacant home in mobile. This year it's 10 days, right? So it's cut in half. And the average the average rent for a four bedroom home uh, last year was about 1500. Uh, this year, it's about twenty one hundred in, in, in your market, right? That's exactly what I'm seeing. Yeah. I mean, that's incredible. That's so exciting. Uh, and, and OKC is the same, right? OKC, the average days on market last year was thirty one days. This year, and mind you, this is only the first half of this year, right? From sure. January through to June, it's twenty two days. You're looking at average rents for a four bedroom. Uh, this year is twenty three hundred. Last year is about twenty one hundred. Five bedrooms, which is, you know, five bedrooms. Gosh, like that's a big home. Last year, prices in OKC were about $3,000 a month. This year, it's about $3,900 for a five bedroom. Um, Pretty remarkable uh, price increases. That is a whole nother level of, once you reach that kind of price point, once once we're getting to that level of rent, it opens up a new strategy for investment. Whereas, uh, you know, a lot of foreign money and out Mm -hmm. of the South or out of, you know, our typical investor markets, you know, you hear that cash flow model or that B class model, which is kind of that, that Burr strategy Mm -hmm. like that, that $3,900 allows like this A class strategy of buy this really supreme level Mm -hmm. home, this top notch A class that you already know is going to meet, a lot of nice standards. You have an idea, yeah. good quality renter that you're going to be putting in place there. Um, there's lower a lot maintenance of maintenance cost, absolutely everything associated with the new lower maintenance lower cost, home. lower turn cost. You know yeah. that there's some stability there, and then it goes from eh, it was thirty one hundred dollars a month. It wasn't exactly cash flowing, but it was pretty close thirty nine hundred. Well, hey, that probably cash flows actually a little bit. <laughs> that that much of a jump just allows that growth into that investment market, which is not something that we've seen in the past, right? So if we're talking national numbers again, you know, we talked about occupancy. Mm-hmm. So what about, do you have any numbers based around days on market on a national average? Yeah. So what we're seeing on rentals is, is less than about 20 to 25 days which is um, on a national average, right? So that, mm-hmm. that clearly in- includes hard to fill markets mm-hmm. as well as kind of easy to fill markets. What we're seeing is a pre- pretty significant shift in the geographic search. Um, There's an interesting stat that got, that got published around where people are actually moving to. Because if you can think about it and take a step back, right? Now you have an opportunity to work from home. So if you're 100% remote, where you used to be tethered to an office, now you can live anywhere, right? right? And it goes back to demand shifting to the the coastal areas and densely populated cities to rural to rural areas. And a recent survey um, highlighted this, which was back in third quarter of last year, 59% of all new single family rental home residents relocated from an urban residential area um, to a suburban residential area. And you can start thinking about this. Well, what wow. does that mean, right? That means that areas like Mobile, OKC, a lot of the southeast states, where the cost of living is 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 affordable, where you can get a lot more bang for your buck in terms of the single family rental home, and and you have now the ability to to work from anywhere. And so that's why 
you're seeing the the standard deviation of, of small areas where oftentimes it was harder to fill a home, right? Because there's just not enough people, right. <laughs> right? Now you have mobile where your average day on market, which, you know, even last year, which I would consider a, that was good. good. Number, Twenty right? some odd days is great. I think it was, yeah. I mean, twenty-five days. Now it's ten, and it's like, holy moly, right? And so that's the benefit of this new dynamic that a lot of folks are experiencing, and um, I think that's going to be really good for your investors and those who are considering the 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 asset classes that are um, in these rural areas or maybe up and coming, you know, middle markets. Yeah, the funny thing is, you know, you're talking about Mobile, but, you know, we went through and and, uh, the economic drivers there are just crazy for that market right now. And, you know, it's it's overshadowed, in my opinion, and particularly in Alabama, it's probably overshadowed by both. Nationally speaking, it is. Nationally speaking, Mobile is not quite on the map. Yeah, it's cool. I, I don't think, Nishan, it's great that like, you're like, no, this place is happening. It's really cool that like your numbers are showing that. But I don't think a lot of, uh, and, and I know being in the South, we talk about California money, New York money pretty often, but we, we understand what that means. It is these markets that are in that investor. I gotta, I've got to invest somewhere other than where I live. Yeah, they've always been on the radar. Yeah, they've right? always been. So. And so Birmingham has been, you know, pretty significantly on the market for the last couple mm-hmm. of years. So it's yeah, Actually, we can thank Atlanta for that. We because I think once Atlanta was processed through multiple levels, then it was just a natural selection. Just sure, migrate, we're just kind of migrate migrate west. Over. Yeah, yeah, and, and but, come to Birmingham. But I think for years people have passed up Mobile because. It's smaller. Mm-hmm. I mean, what's going on down there? Oh, but we got to worry about Sleepy coastal. Yeah. yeah, but like, I mean, we have some investors that are interested in that area. We have a lot of information. We did we did a the podcast last year specifically mm-hmm. about it and all the economic drivers. And we've had new information since then driving. Yeah, we've done boots on the ground analysis. We, we have. Right? So I have a cool. map behind me. <laughs> when I do a Zoom call from my desk, there's a map, and that map is Mobile. Mobile. Let me tell That's you. Right. Because it's the new, and, and to all you investors that this is the first time you're hearing about it, jump. I mean, jump, guys. It's it's where it's moving to. There's so much just movement towards that area because exactly what you're saying, it's it's a coastal area. There's stuff to do down there that people, mm-hmm. you know, maybe they didn't know about it before, but if you have that option, go look at it. It's beautiful. It's That's where Mardi Gras started for pizza. Yeah. Go down there and eat some beignets and party with a what they call them hurricanes or what do they call them down there something yeah. nice hurricanes. have a good time hurricanes not so, the not the drink with the rum <laughs> yeah exactly Fun kind yeah. of hurricane the, li- the liquid version exactly and, and so continuing on the topic right so it's like okay high demand high rent prices investors are are attractive but the challenge that we're all facing now is the supply side right well, if we, you know, if we if we stay on Mobile for a second longer, if we were down there, the whole West Mobile, at the time we were down there, what was the, what was the availability? There was four days of inventory. Four days, but the first time we looked at it was like eight. It was eight. And then it dropped to four. Dropped to four. And then actually last time I checked it, it was like 2.5 days yeah. worth of inventory. Wow. wow. The inventory is just, when we talk, and when I say inventory, and Deshaun, you know this, Brian, you know this, but some of our listeners may not understand how we measure what the inventory days of inventory is. It's if this many homes are selling per month, how many homes are on the market, divide that by weeks, divide it by days, whatever you want to look at it. And it comes down to 
less than a week's worth of inventory if you know in one week a hundred home hits hits the market and, and what's, mobile, a, what's a perfect sales market inventory three three to six months three to six three months. to six months so is what preferably we're preferably six about. months we normally operate in that three month range sure we, and we would consider a three months range a good seller's market right we would consider that a seller's market yep. uh, six months is just your average market three is a seller's nine is a buyer's but we're talking days not months, days worth of inventory, yeah. which means yep. get down there, buy it if you can find it. Yeah, renters are, the renters are already there. You and got, the crazy thing is, is that's not just exclusive to it's Mobile. Not, it's I mean, all we're over. seeing it. In all it, it really is. But that that's probably one of the more extreme cases. But you know, to all of our points, I guess it's all the different dynamics. You know, I I call it the perfect storm because it's there's so many factors coming into it that are bringing about the results that we're seeing, but it's, you know, it's limited supply, uh, the high demand aspect of it, the uh, economic drivers as well. There's a lot of- They've got the money to pay for it too. Right. That's right. Whereas it gives you op an opportunity to build and it makes sense. Yeah. Because right. we discussed with some other smaller, more rural areas, kind of what you're talking about, when we discussed, uh, you know, some counties up in parts of Alabama where maybe just because they have the demand for housing and the supply for land, it might not make sense for an investor to make that inventory available right. because the, the income requirement wouldn't be there. The, the, the amount of rent you would be able to charge the people that demand housing wouldn't make it a profitable venture yet in or as profitable. As for, profitable, certainly. You know, you, you mentioned it earlier, some of the some of the marketplaces that are a little harder to move inventory and, and dragging out those days on market, uh, that's what we had a chance to look Absolutely. at, basically. They have a definite need, and yeah. I feel for them, but, you know, to attract an investor to actually put millions of dollars into a market space to when they can put millions of dollars into another market space and, and earn, you know, two to three times a return. Absolutely. So that's that's where you have to hit. And I think a lot of places in the Southeast and not just Mobile, I love Mobile. I'm I'm currently, that Mobile is right up at the top of my <laughs> mind in terms of it's just the most attractive market, but not just that. Other places in the Southeast where the taxes are low, yep. the rural, the space you living. can get, the cost of living is low. All of these markets we're seeing, at least in the most demanding markets, your, your mobiles, which is an actual city. It's a metro. It's not just like yeah. saying, you know, Saginaw or something. You know, it's, it's, there's stuff there. But when you have that, that is a great place for investors to focus some time and energy. And it might not work for everybody, but those that it's going to work for, man, it's going to be interesting to see how long it takes to hit the map. And I always gauge it against IMN to figure out what they're mentioning as their market yeah. space and uh, hadn't quite made it on their maps yet. I did not attend the Miami event, but uh, I understand it was well attended uh, last week. I had several friends that went, and uh, no, you you didn't attend either, right? I did not know. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, but the the feedback from that event was that everything was geared toward build to rent. I mean, a lot yep. of the, the education's pushing that direction. That started a couple of years ago, because that that seems to be a trend, especially now when you have a limited supply. You know, it makes sense exactly to get create what supply, about here. Right. You create the yeah. supply. If, yeah. if everyone in the if the whole nation is moving upwards at five percent for rental values, I mean, yeah. it just kind of makes sense. The demand is what we're or the demand is what we have. We need some supply. Build your own supply. Yeah, so the interesting thing, funds, and, and I've seen this locally, and Jonathan will know exactly what I'm talking about the moment I mention it. But 
So the the shift of strategy, it's like you know, everybody that's focused on build to rent, the thoughts are you get into a metro, you push out to the boundaries, mm-hmm. so your returns are better, and you kind of balance out how far out can I go and still have the demand there, right? to ensure that I have success with my investment. But now we're starting to see a a different strategy to where people are coming in and buying smaller parcels Mm -hmm. that have been passed over for one reason or another, right in the heart of everything. There's one off of I-20 that's strictly a build to rent community, three, two cookie cutter, Mm -hmm. no homes, no garages, just attractive, just little small 14. I mean, it's like right in, it's like. Right off the interstate. Yeah. Right behind Lowe's, right? Right next Walmart. to like this it's, big bustling yeah. section. It's like that's the exit. And it's probably eight to nine acres. Yeah. Wow. Built out two streets. And as soon as he gets them finished, they're rented. Oh, yeah. And, uh, yeah. I mean, there are people waiting in line on them. So it's just, you know, a different strategy. And I, I was talking to Ralph about that a couple weeks ago. It's like, I think maybe we need to focus on this because those little parcels are out there. You can find them. Well, you've got places in A-class territory, and I don't necessarily mean Hoover. Hoover will be hard. I mean, when we talk about the nicest interior parts of any metro, if we're talking about Alabama in our markets, Hoover, I mean, people refer to the Birmingham market as the Birmingham Hoover market. Hoover is the, like, benchmark of a suburb in Alabama. I mean, it's it's like the best version of what that can be. And that's not a very good investment market. I mean, it's just not because you can't make those numbers work right this minute. Right. Now, if there are some parcels left in Hoover, one or two, maybe that would work. But what where we see it working is these uh, other A-class markets that aren't quite as yeah, populated as Hoover. So, so your Pelicans, your Alabasters, right. your, your Helene. Right. Yeah, there's, there's a fresh amount of capital. Pleasant Grove. Yeah, I, I think there's a fresh amount of capital that are just looking to be deployed, and there's a strategy around how do you deploy it, right? It's, mm-hmm. There could be a, stra- a really strong strategy of diversified. I'm going to go out a little farther out. Like in Houston, like it's such a sprawling city, getting parts of a land is harder. But like in areas where you guys are, I think there could be pockets where you can really make a profitable ROI on, on building built for rent. It's interesting, when I pulled the stats, about 4.5% of all new construction, single family, is rentals, right? So 4.5%. And, and and so I, I don't that's know. A, that's that, a bigger number than I thought it would be. Yeah, it was big. I, I wish I had the previous years. I think that, that, but that's pretty significant because you think about like 10, 15, 20 years ago in this space, the oh, only way to, zero. It, it was like you had to buy piecemeal, right? You had, to, you had to find that owner who was willing to sell to you that allowed you to kind of turn it into a rental property. Um, how, how old is that stat? How many months old is that stat? It's only a few months old, I think. Um, I think it was all of 2020. Yeah. Okay. It just supplies such a, it's such a, that's the headwind that a lot of folks are facing. You have demand, you have, you have fresh capital that you have the money, you know, and one of the challenges too, I think you guys experience is the pandemic kind of put a toll on some of these, you know, individual owner operators of rentals properties where, you know, you have significant asset appreciation, homes are being sold at extreme values, right? And you had some of the, the downside consequences of the eviction moratorium and yeah and think yeah, about so, it i mean we're we're all focused in on that end date coming up and uh i mean i've, I've talked about this i can't tell you how many times in the last 30 days it's, <laughs> it's like you know we we saw a, a, st- a stat out there there's there's nearly 7.8 eviction there's 7.8 million evictions in the pipeline nationally. and uh i can only imagine and and you know i would predict a, a 
a pretty high number out of that would be owners that are actually ready to get out of the rental the rental oh, of course you know to allude to what you just said you want to sell a property but you've got somebody in there that you can't evict they're not paying rent so you know you're absorbing the cost or you're behind yourself so they're ready to get out in a hot sales market which is still going to be hot by the time this stuff starts to happen and we've started to see you know jokingly it's like the scattering People know, the, the residents know the eviction moratorium is getting ready to end. They don't know what to expect. So we're starting to see the people that we were ready to get into the eviction pipeline. It's like they're they're you on it and moving out in the it's middle of the occupancy night. check yeah. time. Occupancy nowadays. check time. That's right. Mm-hmm. right. That's, so, just run around and check all of them. Just, yeah. Is somebody here? Nope. So and, and, and retaking the possession and, and turning those houses over for whatever decision the owner makes whether to continue on and, and keep it as a rental or, or sell it. But uh, but I think it's going to further, it's going to put a crunch on the available rental inventory because yeah. I think you're going to pull several million out of that number that are actually going to go into the resale market, uh, which is going to boost the resale market a little bit, not tremendously, but uh, but it's certainly going to hurt the, the rental market and, and further condense supply. Hey, Jonathan, have you checked out the Pinata app yet? No, I haven't yet. Well, Pinata makes rent smarter and more rewarding. You earn rewards for paying rent on time, and you get deals on brands you know and love. So you're saying you earn Pinata cash to spend on awesome rewards, and you get the credit you deserve for paying rent on time? Absolutely. Just download the Pinata app today to start earning your rewards. Yeah, I agree. And and so you have increased rent prices. So bringing this all together, you have increased rent prices, you have more capital to spend, a lot of investors looking for supply, you have limited supply. And a lot of these homes are are A class, all the new all the new construction are A class properties. So what's what's really gonna be coming to a head here probably the next year or two is this affordability crisis, right? We have class B and C properties that don't exist, no new supply coming on that market. You have individual renters who can't afford, you know, the the significant price increases. So you might have more roommate style affordability structures, right? You have more people in cramming into one home. And that's the real kind of unfortunate consequence that we, we, we need to solve for is perhaps the affordability crisis. Yeah. So what are you seeing in turn? I know the last time you were on, um, we talked about some of the the key new features that are part of that search parameter with uh, you know, the last time we were talking about uh, laundry or, or yeah. stuff like that. So so what are you seeing? And I don't know if you have any statistics on it. It's like, OK, well, if I am at my edge at, at, the, at the highest level, the ceiling of my affordability, what all do I need to make sure that are getting within this? rent price. So let's talk about yeah. how do we how do we increase rents and yet still not make something so unaffordable that we can't put a tenant in place and we can't find a resident to fit it. Is it just add value, add value, add value? What, what are you seeing? Well, yeah. So I think the, the, the filtering options haven't changed significantly since okay. since last time. I think we, t- we chatted about the basics around beds and baths. Um, now you're seeing a lot more demand on the bigger homes, right? five bedroom, four bedrooms, clearly. And, and, you know, there are kind of nice to haves versus must haves. And I think the list of must haves now are in in in-house laundry, right? Um, You don't want to be going to a laundromat. I think people are 
are now living in and working and living in their house, right? Which which allows them to do a lot of different things throughout the day, right? You can get up from your office and do laundry or cook a cook a nice lunch. Old clothes on a Zoom yeah, call. Old, yeah, exactly on a Zoom call. So all of those things haven't changed. Um, and, and, and when I think about kind of the leverage, who owns the leverage right now? It, it really, it really is actually on the owner operator and the PMCs because, you know, you think about the for sale market, it's very um, analogous to the, the for rent market where you have kind of these bidding wars, right? And so the sacrifices are a little bit less nowadays than it was where, where the inverse, where the leverage sat on the renter. You know, there, there's a lot of things that this, this new normal has kind of introduced to us um, because of the lack of supply, because of the high demand. People just want to live in a nice home that is spacious and affords them the ability to work and play at their house. You know, the basic amenities like kitchen, you know, uh, upgraded appliances, all of that is, you know, nice to have. I don't think it's kind of a must have. But if you're building a new home, like these built-to-rent, you know, construction companies are, are amazing. They, they are efficient. They know they can build homes in days at a time that, that, that really meet the desires of a renter. Yeah, we're, seeing, they, yeah. we're seeing features like community Wi-Fi, dog parks. Oh, I mean, yeah. you know, it's stuff that... Oh, granted, granted is like a... <laughs> nobody, nobody's concerned about that because that's so far down the list of, oh, of course it's got granite. Yeah. Oh, of course yeah. it's got a nice LVP floor. It's those extras that we're talking about. Yeah. And the cost has actually come down. You can get scale yeah. now, like, you know, granted and Wi-Fi. So, you know, setting up Wi-Fi is, is like an like a easy, least expensive utility versus like 20 years ago, which is really expensive, right? So like all these, like the cost structure outside of lumber, clearly, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Lumber but, is gold now. Yeah, it's man, crazy. it's gold. Jeez, Louise. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, it's it's interesting, but there's no there's no dynamic shift like this silver bullet that if you have this in one in your house, you're gonna get you're gonna get 10x demand because you're already flooded by leads anyway. It's interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I wrote down an interesting note when you said laundry is it's kind of just for laundry is a must, but you know because that's the entry level, you know, renter moving from an apartment into a home and we've always advised our investors it's like don't don't include washers and dryers because it's a you you know, it's an extra maintenance expense and exposure um but i now wonder if with that little bit of information if it's conceivable that now uh, you know a piece of good advice would be to include washers and dryers on some of your smaller you know your three bedrooms if you're thinking of your three bedroom as a smaller yeah. rental unit now uh, might not be a wise, or it might be a wise uh, decision. To Especially support. if you could structure it so that the tenant is, you know, potentially renting that as well, or, or right. some some form or fashion of like the maintenance is going to be covered by the warranty of the new mm-hmm. washer and dryer. And I think it would only work by putting a brand new one in there that has a full factory warranty, right? So that you're not dealing with oh well the spin. Yeah, function. not the fifteen year old set that. You know, you don't want to move when you're moving type thing. Yeah, sadly, sadly, my washing machine right now. I don't want to. <laughs> I also seen like, you know, you could just do the hookups and, you know, have the ability for, for renters to actually rent yeah. a laundry unit. Um, and so the, the liability could be deferred to the, the rental company. Yeah, the thing we're finding, though, still, you know, with appliances, it's less than some now. But uh, I mean, there for a while, it was it was just a 
crazy, uh, just a pain to get any type of appliance whatsoever. Mm -hmm. uh, what electronics, not as much. We waited for a refrigerator. Refrigerator was like two and a half months at the longest. Wow. So, yeah. So now I've gotten it back down to where it's like ten days. So, I'm impressed with your yeah. ten days. You told me ten days the other day, and I was like, oh. Yeah, I, I it's like overnight now. I'm still waiting on my couch. I moved into a new house in March, and I still haven't gotten my damn couch. <laughs> you know, the funny thing is about the couches and stuff, and I can say this because my wife orders furniture for a corporate housing company. It's it's more the delivery than the production. She's had instances where they've had to hire local drivers to go pick stuff up from the shipping companies that's been sitting on their dock and not projected yeah. to ship out for another 30, 45 days. So is it just because shipping is handling regular... It's, it's reduction in truck drivers yeah. for their companies. Who knew? Yeah, it's, it's a whole mess. Supply chain. COVID changed yeah, everything. Supply chain. It's right. like a whole... It's like, it's like, let's learn how houses work again, or let's learn how everything in the world works. The last, the last point to answer your question too, it's just sort of a reminder of kind of who our audience is, like who's the renters that we're trying to satisfy and i think the big reminder for me and, and for the audience is like particularly in the single family rental marketplace 45 percent of sfr renters are families with children right yeah. so so if you just put yourself in their shoes like laundry like kids get dirty family you know backyards all that fun stuff that you enjoy as a family with, with children you kind of have to um, adopt to the audience you serve right and I haven't seen the new stats this year, but, uh, I, you know, based on old information, I would say, you know, 67, 68% of those have pets. So I was curious if you're going you know, to say, say the pets yeah, line. You need to figure that if, out. If you well. don't allow pets, you're just wrong. Yeah, you're, you're cutting out a tremendous piece of your, uh, of your rental pool, and particularly your qualified rental pool. Mm -hmm. Those are the ones that are established. They have their families. They have their family pets. And you know, I, I think I can understand. I mean, there's laws in place to keep you from keeping familial status, children, whatever, out of a property. There, there's laws to prohibit you from saying, oh, you can't have kids in this. But that there's a reason that that was put in place. And we have we have been introduced to investors that have that mentality. But I just don't know if I want kids in this property or dogs in this property. And it seems so short-sighted. You're going to have scuffs on the walls. You're going to have some scratching. Cosmetic repairs. Like the, the cosmetic repairs cost so little in terms of if you put a family that's going to love this house, yeah, they're going to scuff up your walls and maybe do some little scratches. Yeah, sure. But if they stay in there five or six years, well, that's worth it. Yeah. I mean, it just seems like such a short-sighted solution <laughs> that really only would make sense in like, oh, I only you ever know, plan and, on one and year. Typically, you know, being fair, that that's, that's typically the accidental, accidental landlords. That's not oh, that's their purposeful point. investors. I guess that's it. Yeah. You know, that have that education piece behind them. Yeah. I, I would say we could potentially have accidental landlords listen to the podcast, though, or at least clientele that yeah. didn't intentionally get into this. But, I mean, we, we tell By all of our clients. They're, they're there, right? We, we tell all of our clients to check out the podcast, regardless of how they got to us. Well, you know, the accidental landlords, the DIY mom and pop, you know, the 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 dynamics haven't shifted. We talked about all this institutional dollars coming into the marketplace, but the reality percentage. is it's so small. It's, it's two and a half percent of all owners are institutional yeah. landlords. So like the invitation homes, the progress residential, even some of the SMB institutional dollars, it's so small, 54%. This is a stat I always try to remind my team, 54% of all single family rental owners only own one property 
That's absurd. Right. And like when, and when, you, when you think about how many homes Invitation Homes has, and you're like, 80, like this tiny little tiny, oh, tiny, drop tiny. in the bucket. That's and, funny. And yeah. I'd heard a stat about the uh, <clears throat> shadow foreclosure potential of 800,000 on this cycle, just based on the moratoriums, not to you know project down the road a couple of years with the affordability piece of it. Uh, and people buying houses over market that'll you know adjust at some point. But ultimately, 800,000 is just a drop. Also off. still nothing. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's like, man, that's so many. No, it's not. It's not yeah, close. I mean, there's 15 million single family rentals in the United States today, right? So that's it's so dynamic. The dynamics shift so significantly if you look at multifamily. So the two and a half percent of institutional dollar, uh, two and a half percent of all in, um, institutional owners on the single family, that number is 76 percent, right? On the multifamily side, you have a ton of enterprise institutional owners on the multifamily side. So it's just such a, it's like a barbell, you know, the, the extremes mm -hmm. on both ends of the bookend is pretty amazing. Now, I'm curious about multifamily because we don't deal a lot with multifamily. We have some small multifamily and, you know, we're working with uh, some, some larger investors to hopefully get us even a bigger platform into the multifamily. Um, are you seeing size being a premium on those as well, whereas maybe previously you could get away, if we're talking newer multifamily, if, if someone is starting a multifamily project, is the uh, current wisdom, instead of build a 500 square foot one bedroom unit, switch to maybe a 700 square foot unit? I mean, is size still a determining factor for desire? Uh, I guess the real thing would be, is would that still be the, the case of 8% three bedroom or larger, yeah, or would okay. we consider increasing the percentage of three and four bedroom units, potentially? It's gonna be three yeah, bedroom I, units I, mostly. I, I don't I don't have the specific answer, but I can share my opinion, which is I think, you know, despite that only eight percent of multifamily properties have three bedrooms or more, I, I just don't know the dynamics of those renters are typically either young millennials where, you know, you don't have a children, you might have a spouse or a partner where maybe space isn't as important to you because the evolution of a renter is you graduate college, you move likely to an urban area where there's a lot of bars, restaurants, there's probably a lot more multifamily than single family, just based on space and real estate. It, it, I don't know what the, the, the unit economics of, how much more money you can make from a three bedroom versus a two bedroom in a multifamily. But I, I do know that the evolution of a renter is you start typically there, you move to a single family because, you know, we've stated that 45% are, are families with children. And then, and then as you continue, you either get into the, you, you, you graduate into a for sale property. You may live there for the majority of your life. And then what we see also on the other end of it is, um, um, retirees um, downsizing, right, and moving back to a multifamily property where, you know, they don't need the space, right? They don't need a five-bedroom house to support their three grown kids anymore. And so, you know, I, I don't know if the three-bedroom market is going to increase. It, it might just based on, you know, I, I would think maybe some you know, options where they're yeah, options. Maybe even like a nook where it's not a traditional okay. bedroom by defined. Um, standards either state regulated but maybe like a nook where you have office space where you can kind of just get away i think that might be something that's um it's more pure speculation on my part but i could see a little bit more of that like a a two-bedroom with a nook you know like uh something like that on the multifamily side but for them it's all about volume 
Well, that's I've shifted into uh, you know living in a condo as I mentioned earlier, which I, I look at the the demographics in the condominium community I'm living in, and there's a large percentage, to your point, of retirees mm-hmm. uh, living in that. To where you know a little different, kind of same concept as multifamily, but they're owning the individual unit versus renting it. And then you know I also think about my own personal experience. My my youngest son and his wife with no children opt for a four bedroom home. So she has an art studio, he has an office and they have a master bedroom and a a guest bedroom. Um, Mm -hmm. So there's, there is definitely a a shift in thinking, uh, particularly since last year. I think that that has definitely pushed people in that direction of being space conscious. And we've seen it in our own business to where, you know, they, they want to move out of a a three. We saw some movement early on. Uh, I think initially there was a spike in in, uh, lease renewals, but then we leveled off around June, July to where people were actually moving and shifting from a three bedroom to a four or whatever that scenario looked like just to get that little extra space because, you know, they're on top of each other as a family because the kids are schooling and, you know, both of the, uh, both the adults are actually at home working. So everybody needed their space. So there was definitely a time when we all felt that. I mean, I know I was only in quarantine. Me and you were both only in quarantine for a couple of weeks Mm -hmm. total. And except for the time that we were actually sick, we were, we were at home doing work. And I mean, I've got three kids and a dog (laughs) and my wife. We're all at the house. It was, I mean, I wanted to pull my hair out. It's challenging. It is. Everything that's one of the reasons why I bought a house. You're doing <laughs> I, was, this? I was in a condo with my wife oh, and your child, and we were like, this is this is not happening. So we bought a house. <laughs> like we just had to. <laughs> uh, we're, we were converting everything. It's like, all right, so this half of the living room, this is where I am. Kids, y'all have got to stay in your room. You've got to do just play video games. Just play video games. Oh my God. <laughs> Go outside and do something. Make me have some quiet time for give me 45 minutes of peace. Yeah. Screen time awesome. was thrown out the window. So stare at that screen as long as you want. <laughs> if you're quiet, that's fine. That's so, watch. so I would like to ask you a, a question from your side. So as you know, alluded to the eviction moratorium ending and, you know, there's there's going to be some adjustment period there. Do you have any predictions, whether it's based on information you've seen or just your thoughts, you know, what the, what the next 12 months might look like? That's a big question, but. Yeah, it, it's, I, I think it's going to be a, um, an inflection point um, and it can go, you're kind of hitting a fork in the road, right? You're like, okay, is it going to go left or right? And I think the decision of whether it goes right or left is probably based on a couple macro decisions and how the workforce ends up moving towards, you know, you know, I'll give you an example, you know, at our company, we're moving to a hybrid model of work certain days in the office, two days in the office, three days at home. Others are doing a hundred percent remote. Others are doing a hundred percent in the office. I think, you know, this Delta variant is, is something that we should keep an eye on because we don't know how that's going to progress. I mean, there's a lot of speculation that it's going to cause a little bit more of a, a challenge for um, people to return back to normalcy, right? Which is which is a key um, economic revitalization is key to the success of everything we do as a society. I think, and so where I think I, I, I do believe that you know prices will eventually come down on the lumber. I think on the lumber construction price. I think supply will eventually catch up to demand. Yeah, there's already been some downward adjustments on some of those things already. Yeah, some, you know, I'm saying. 
And so, so I think supply is going to catch up, right? So regardless of what, what happens, we know we have a supply shortage. Um, and so that's going to be a, a positive momentum, whether it's going to come 12 months, two years from now, I don't know. But what, what really is the big unknown to me is how people are going to adapt to working for remote hundred percent of the time. So, because that, that, that eliminates geographic constraints and we're seeing tremendous amount of people moving away from the coastal cities to the, to the rural parts of the United States. It's inflating home prices in those areas. It's, it's it being, it's driving more attractive investment in the areas like we talked about Mobile, OKC, Tulsa, et cetera. And, and as a result of that, more investors will come and more supply will come and more economic re- revitalization in those areas will come. But if remote work is not successful, right? If it's proven to yield low productivity and if employers begin to say, yep, this experiment is failing, we got to go back to 100% in the office. And that triggers a mass exodus or a mass kind of re- recalibration. I, I don't know what that's going to cause. Yeah, the, well, the other thing that people don't think about as business leaders that you're faced with is when you have employees working remotely from other states and you don't take into consideration that they're working in a different state and therefore HR requirements are considerably different than when you had everybody in the same state to start yeah. with or same municipality. So, you know, um, I know that that's come up and I've, I've heard that from several different business owners that say, hey, you know, I, I didn't even think about this, but yeah. I really need to make sure the message gets out there to the next guy. Well, one of the things, one of the points that I was wanting to jump on with Sean, you're not necessarily about the state differences, but I was also thinking like industry differences because there are certain industries that are more adaptable to the work from home business realistically. I mean, like there's definitely parts of what we do that are perfectly fine work from home. Accounting pieces or back office kind of stuff. I I honestly, I don't care where you are. You're not having to get to a property and having to meet face to face with anyone. So that doesn't mean much to me. And there's, tech companies where it's, if you're coding, who cares where you're coding? Code from wherever you're coding. Right. But then there's definitely other industries, retail industries and mm-hmm. uh, any sort of customer service industry where like uh, you can't do that from your own, you can't sell me uh, a t-shirt from your own you know, couch. You gotta be there in the store to sell me the thing. So I, I'm, I'm sure there's an industry variant to this as well. Yep. And then maybe you follow that in terms of um, which cities will have the kind of industries that make it someone have to be there. Maybe that's something to look into. Right. Um, right. But then other than that, I think the work from home deal, I think that's going to stick around. It's, I don't see it. Yeah, I, I think it comes back to, to what Sean was saying earlier. I think it's the, the, uh, the truth will lie in the productivity. Mm-hmm. And over time that will uh, report itself accurately to business owners. So that'll, I think that will largely dictate, uh, outside of obviously the, the health risk associated with uh, different variants or, or whatever we're dealing with at the time, but uh, yeah, I think all that's going to come into play. So so I think it's uh, probably a good point to do uh, our, our wrap-up. So do you have any final thoughts? last minute and final thoughts? Uh, my final thoughts are just, I mean, if you can make an investment work now, even with the markets doing fluctuating the way they are. They're high, yeah. Everybody's thinking we're at a peak of a market, which I definitely disagree with. I don't think we're at a peak. I think we're at an upward slope, certainly. Mm -hmm. 
Um, we've seen it in our markets in several places where I was like, well, this you, you can't you can't buy anymore in this area because it's you're already priced out. And then that six months later, I'm like, never mind, you still should have bought in that area. <laughs> but I, I think I think if you can make an investment work, you should. It's, you're not you're likely to not lose money buying in some of these areas where we see people moving towards the rent demand is super high. Um, I, I think it's just a good time to make a smart decision with your investment is what I'm trying to get to. And, and there's enough information that that's out there that you can use that really strategy. Yeah, the funny thing uh, I see is part of, the, part of my final thoughts would be the amount of money rolling back into this industry uh, has been for the, you know, for the last decade, but uh, especially now, I think there's, it's a lot of money. There's a lot of partnerships that are occurring that are bringing money in that hadn't previously been in our space. Um, and with that come systems and technologies and, and things that make this an even better space. And we talked about, you know, what it is to attract a qualified resident. We talk about it all the time about creating stickiness and, and long-term tenancy. And I think that's the focus. And I think that's going to be the focus for the immediate period to come. I think personally, I think, uh, I think supply is going to constrict even tighter. Uh, I think rents are going to continue to rise. Um, we're seeing a number of owners that are basically, you know, here's here's my rent. You know, we, we have a system for evaluating and, and uh, coming up with uh, rental rate suggestions, but we have owners that will come back and it's like, hey, if they don't agree with that, issue a, issue a notice to vacate. I'll flip the property and and uh, we'll put it back out there at market rate, full market rate, and uh, and earn that that type of return. So, so I think that it is a good time to be an investor. Um, and ultimately it's a good time to be a renter or a resident. Uh, but I think once you find what you're looking for, lock it down, get into it. Don't come at it haphazardly. I think you need to be purposeful in, in trying to get your applications and you know, everything in on time so that you can be processed, approved and placed in the property. <clears throat> and I think that, um, you know, ultimately I, I do think that there's gonna be a leveling of some some capacity and maybe a couple of different dynamics at it at one time but uh, you know construction cost is coming down i think um as we begin to build more we increase i, I expect that 4.5 percent will increase on the on the build to rent front because that's what we're hearing in our industry we're seeing entities like roofstock really get into that space now uh to where they kind of dabbled in it a few years ago and uh, they've got some pretty major projects that have uh, been in development and sales and resale and uh, a lot of other folks as well. But, uh, but I think there's, there's going to be new, new opportunities for investors. And I think, you know, the best approach you can have is really not to be zeroed in on one particular type of investment or one area of investment. I think if you're in the single family space, what I'm referring to is I call it a shotgun approach. It's like we have some investors that will develop workforce housing, they'll develop executive style housing, they'll develop multifamily, whether that is purchase and rehab or build rent, uh, that's their approach. You're trying to hit multiple uh, pockets of, of renters and uh, and that's a great approach. So if you can think along those you know, parameters and fronts, I think you can uh, diversify your portfolio, make some money. I, I agree. I think I echo both, both what Jonathan and, and Brian, you said, and I'll end on a good Warren Buffett quote on investing. It's it's not about timing the market, but it's it's time in market. 
Yes. So, and so if you can, uh, if you can put aside like, okay, I think this is going to happen. Let me hold off. The interest rates are going to go up or down all this crazy anxiety filled cloud that is in your head, put that away, invest time in market matters. Everything that we see at, you know, on the, on the two-sided marketplace um, is upward to the right in terms of demand, in terms of rent growth. Supply is the only challenge that um, eventually we'll catch up um, and and we it, we will we will go through the cycle I'm just happy that everyone's healthy and I'm happy you guys are healthy and happy and um, I'm happy to continue to do these podcasts it's always fun hanging out with you guys it is it's uh, it's it's a blast and I hope I hope we can still uh, see one another at a couple of events later in the year and uh, it was great seeing you uh, at Southern States and yeah and I think that ended up being a, a good event. Yeah. I'm so upset that we didn't get to go out and have dinner or anything. I know. I know. Or late, <laughs> late night uh, you know, cocktails uh, without getting too detailed. <laughs> we don't need to worry about Lucky Charms in a lobby. Don't worry about that. Oh, man. But uh, no, we appreciate your time, and we appreciate you really carving out time. I know you, yeah. you're uh, – you're off-site and, and enjoying some time with your family, and we appreciate, uh, as always, being able to talk with you. And, and for the information you're bringing to the table for our, our listeners, I think that's huge, and uh, thank you for that. Yeah, congratulations again on, on the second one coming, yeah. Yeah. coming soon. We're, we're oh, excited man. for you. Talk about life changing, man. Two boys. Uh, we'll, we'll see how it goes. I'm excited. October. That's right. <laughs> if you don't hear from me for a couple of weeks, you, you know well, why now. Hey, we're, we're okay with that. I'm shooting for October 3rd. That's my birthday. So. Oh, okay. October 3rd. I'll tell my wife. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> tell the new one. Like, look, man, this, this is your day. Uh, but thank you so much. And to all of our uh, listeners, if you have any questions, again, always feel free to reach out at uh, podcast at AHI. No. We're excited to tell you about our new partnership with Rhino. Rhino can replace security deposit requirements with an affordable insurance policy that the tenant pays instead of having to pay more money up front. The service is very straightforward and it was super quick to implement. We know that this is a no-brainer. If you're looking to increase your occupancy rate and increase your NOI by reducing your days on market, head to sayrhino.com today and check them out.